0: Ladies and gentlemen, the tiny DevOps guy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tiny DevOps podcast. I'm your host Jonathan Hall, and on this show, we like to talk about Dev and Ops and all related things for small companies. That's sort of the opposite of fang. So we're not we're not deploying ten thousand node Kubernetes clusters. We're we're focused on. Uh, five or 10 or 20, uh, engineers in our, in our, uh, engineering team. So that, that's the focus of our show today. I'm excited to have, uh, an old, uh, should I say old friend? We've been friends for several years. Uh, yeah. we, we worked together briefly. <laughs> uh, so my friend Parham, uh, do here. Uh, did I say that right? I probably didn't. You said that perfectly. Right. Perfect. Wonderful. So, uh, I, I'm excited to have Parham here. Uh, he is going to hopefully help, uh, enlighten me and, and the audience on how we can do, um, how do I say, it? how we can be a little bit more accessible in the work we do in DevOps. And, and that, that probably doesn't make sense yet, but I'll, I'll let Parham give an introduction here uh, about himself and his unique perspective on the, the types of work that we do and how we might be able to improve our work uh, through, through his uh, perspective. Welcome Parham, Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Hi, thanks a lot. Um, so my name is Parham. I met Jonathan in Booking, where um, I think it was five years ago. Um, I after uh, since then I basically moved on to Core Infra, where I was creating deployment software to um, help people um, deploy their software to multiple Kubernetes clusters. Um, so we we wrote an open source software called shipper um so that was how i was personally involved in in devops um i uh i was born completely blind so i um i have been programming with something called a screen reader that reads the screen to me um and that was basically how i was involved in um in the, in in my DevOps days, and now I'm the engineering manager of accessibility at Booking, uh, which is a very uh, new position. I've been here for like four or five months, so um, so very new to the role, um, but still very in touch with the DevOps world and and what's been happening there.
0: That's great. So uh, as Parham mentioned, uh, he's he's totally blind, which uh, puts him in a unique position, I think, to talk about coding or engineering uh, in a way that. Uh, many of us often don't think about. So uh, I, I heard you give a presentation uh, maybe three years ago at a Go meetup in Amsterdam. Uh, and you talked about coding in Go and, and the reasons you like Go um, because of its simplicity, its syntactic simplicity, and it makes it easier to, uh, to, to understand certain things. But you also talked a lot about coding style. And I wonder if you might talk a little bit about the coding style. Actually, before we do that, Let's discuss um, why accessibility is important for everybody, not just uh, the minority of people who, who don't have vision. Because uh, you talked about that in your in your presentation, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, so um, there is a well-known fact. I mean, when when I was doing my talk, I wasn't actually in accessibility, so I didn't really have access to data about this. Um, but as i 've gone deeper and deeper into accessibility, there's clear data around the fact that when you um, are creating software um, and and whether this is like digital assets or it's like um, um, just writing code um, and you have a wider audience in mind. What ends up happening is that you lift up the quality of that software or or the source code or or whatever it is you're doing for everyone as well. And that was what I was talking about in that, uh, go meetup, which is, um, ideally the way I think about my code is that the, um, least experienced person in the team should be able to understand it with no problems. And if we get there, um, then, um, we're a very productive team. What I've, what I've seen people do sometimes, and I'm, I I was kind of um, uh, guilty of doing this five, six years ago as well, is that you go read a book about the uh, whatever algorithm of uh, uh, traversing a tree on bash. (laughs) And then you're like, well, that's cool. That I can totally apply that to this problem that I'm solving. Um, And, and there's a better way, or or an easier way, or a more like easy to read way that's not horribly, um, I guess, um, non-performant, or 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 isn't horribly bad in in performance. But you're like, you know, I learned this new thing. I really want to apply it at work. And what ends up happening is we end up increasing the complexity of the code, um, is, and and which is very important in a DevOps situation because what ends up happening, you're you're, someone's leaving the team, the new person comes in and tries to maintain the code and they just don't understand it because they don't know the book you just read or they don't know the algorithm you just discovered. Um, And if you leave your code in in that state, what ends up happening, people um, I guess see this problem in different ways and handle it in different ways, but whatever the reaction ends up being, I guess we can all agree that that's not ideal. Um, ideally, if you're leaving a team, you should have made yourself obsolete way before leaving in the sense that they shouldn't really um, feel you m- missing by much. Mm-hmm. So that's that's basically the case I was making, and, and I think I still do make that case to engineers um, w- when it comes to code quality and code readability that... Um, the focus on, on clarity of the code is basically the, the point I'm making here. Um, and I'm not saying that means to the exclusion of everything else. So this doesn't mean uh, if you can use hashes for everything <laughs> because it's more readable, <laughs> make a 10 gigabyte the ca- the cache of stuff um, and don't do a proper way. But, but what I mean is if there is a way that's clearer, easier to read and, and easier to maintain that isn't um, very like low in terms of performance, I would personally suggest um, you to lean more towards the one that's more uh, readable.
0: So, so broadly speaking, the more readable the code is, the easier it is for you to understand exactly the same way that it's easier for everybody else to understand. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah that's basically it
0: so that that's, that's not like rocket science there it, it basically makes uh communicate clearly uh with your code and, and probably everything else you do is that fair
1: yeah 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 i mean and and that's the thing i i guess this this is also in in literary um if if you know if you look at like shakespeare right we have shakespearean <laughs> work where he's like let me look let me show you how awesome i am with the language which doesn't necessarily make sense to the um everyday reader like me i'm like what the hell is this guy saying um right. and 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 i think the work that he's done that has survived is the more um work aimed toward the common um people which is easier to 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 understand and um And reason about, and that's basically what what I'm inviting people to do. Which is, um, uh, code is a form of communication with the computer, but it's also a way of communicating with the poor soul who's going to maintain this after you're gone. So do that task in in a very careful and responsible
0: way. Would you mind sharing? Your story, a little bit about how you got into computers and, and computer programming.
1: Yeah, sure. So I basically started uh, when I was fourteen. Um, so I discovered a game, a form of a genre of games called an audio game, which is basically a game where um, you put on headphones and everything is done in a way that you're um, only interacting with the game world through audio. So there's no Videos at all, and mm. I, I played a couple of these, and I was like, well, fine. I want to do these more, and I want to <laughs> create them, and and I uh, I started learning Visual Basic six, which was like a little bit outdated. This was like two thousand four five, uh, okay. but that was basically the the book I could find that was uh, an audio tape that I could actually learn from. Uh, wow. And then I started creating audio games. Then I went into multi-user dungeons, which is a text-based, uh, text-based role-playing game that you play online. There's a whole ton of them, uh, and I started programming those. And that was my introduction to object-oriented programming because everything was an object, and you had to basically uh, program verbs for them, like throw and pick up and attack and stuff. Um, yeah. And then I I went on to learn PHP. And I went on to to university where I didn't really have any books or or any um, kind of like um, material to study from. So I basically just had to learn in in the um, classroom or um, f- fail. That was basically my only two <laughs> options. And I, um, as soon as I found a job, I basically just quit because I was like, this is too much too much work for little return. And uh, that's when I basically got my associate's degree and got out of university and uh, started working on web applications with PHP and 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 specifically the backend because if I design the front end, it's going to be horrible. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, what what have been the challenges? Uh, I mean, I, I, I of course, I mean, our worlds are are very different in certain ways, obviously. Um, for me, it's. I'm sure you have the same difficulty imagining my world as I do imagining yes. yours. Yeah, um, yeah. But what what is it like uh, going to university and finding a job uh, w- without being able to, to see? I mean, and I have two, two, two parts of that question. First, um, from your perspective, what what is it? What are, what's the day to day like? Like, how do you read and write code and, and and stuff like that? And then second, interacting with other people who aren't used to dealing with blind people. What how, how does that work? yeah so
1: i um on on the first question um it's been a discovery journey for me because um things have been uh getting better and worse in terms of accessibility of of coding software um right now i'm using emacs uh emacs peak which is basically a plugin that um pulls out information from Emacs APIs about like the color of text, uh, any highlights and stuff like that and turns that into speech, Um, Mm -hmm. which is really cool because you can actually program it to do stuff that isn't accessible. Like usually a screen reader, what it does is it just pulls out information from software through the API that the developer puts in. So if they don't implement an interface, you just don't have access to the data anymore. And then that's, that's where a screen reader might just say button or checkbox. And you're like, what am I ticking if I tick this box? What's going to happen? Okay. And okay. Um, so with, with Emacs and Emacs Week, because everything's basically done in Lisp, so you can go view the source code and modify it and, and basically make stuff accessible that that isn't accessible. So that's, that's why Emacs has been my environment of choice for like five years now. Um, and that's been basically how I do my, my coding and for a long time I was also doing my personal task management and stuff inside Emacs with uh, with something called org mode which is basically a way to write structured text kind of like markdown um but you can fold text and you can expand it and stuff like that so that was uh, that was pretty useful um so that was that was basically my environment for a, for a long time N- now that I'm an engineering manager my Days are in Gmail, <laughs> and <laughs> and Google Docs and stuff. Yeah. So um, so yeah, that's the and Google Calendar. That's the the Tetris game that we play with the with the appointments.
0: But, but uh, I know but that, that Tetris the, game all too well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so that's the first part of it. Um, and I'll, I'll let you if if you have any questions, I'll let you uh, ask those before I move on to the second one.
0: Are you are you still coding now that you're managing or or? is that is that in the past no
1: um I don't really code anymore no I think okay. I kind of also uh got got burned out by code I guess mm-hmm. got burned out with coding is that the right preposition yeah uh, uh and and I think the the reason for that was uh I I, I was basically just coding for for um, my hobbies and as a, as a hobby and and as my daily job for like um, 10 years for for my professional life and um six years as a hobby in purely so i i think i kind of uh got got bored of uh development and um, i got really drawn to people i mean i was very drawn to people but i always saw that in a role as a developer um, mm-hmm. but then i kind of like got to the point where that role of interacting with people, having a one-on-one relationship, um, um, getting to know people at a deeper level and uh, and stuff like that at work became more important. I used to do that in my personal life, um, but I ended up getting to a point where I was really looking forward to doing that that at work as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was basically how I got into being a team lead three years ago. And um, then basically stopping to to code a year ago where my reports exceeded six and seven people. And I just could not, I couldn't manage people properly, let alone manage people properly and code. So yeah, so, yeah, so that was my, uh, and I kind of liked that. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna just stick with this uh, because I I feel like I can also deliver more value in a more sustainable way, um, working with people right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. When I was managing, I didn't have time or, or much interest in coding either. Uh, I was I was uh, focused on uh, on people, and uh, I I really enjoyed that. I I enjoy both, uh, but uh, I, I guess there's a time time for each. Yeah,
1: yeah. So how how did you split that between the two? Did you? That at home did you do coding at home? Did you? Still I, find I did some,
0: yeah. I did some coding at home on an open source project that, that I uh, had written. Uh, yeah. I still maintain it. It's a it's a, a shared library that I I, uh, I maintain.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's your coding became more of a hobby for you.
0: It did, and, and now I'm coding uh, to some extent again. Um, I'm no longer in a management position. Yeah, uh, yeah. So so okay. at
1: some point you had a hobby. A child, you were in a marital relationship, and you were working at the same time.
0: Yes, definitely. And, to, and to be clear, I'm still in a marital relationship. Uh, we, yeah, we, yeah. We didn't I guess divorced like, you or don't, like you that. that. <laughs> 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 like wow, I just yeah.
1: Sometimes I'm like, how do people actually schedule so many stuff into their day? I, I just feel lazy right now. I'm sorry. I'm gonna yeah. just get
0: out and leave. <laughs> <laughs> So, so on to the second question then, um, how, how do you find a job and how do you go to th- go to university and how do you do these things with people who, who aren't accustomed to working with blind people? What's that like?
1: Yeah, I guess there is a more sweet part of it where you encounter people who are actually excited to know you, to get to know your world and to let you into their world. So it's more of a mutual um, relationship. And and they're really good at replacing body language with um, with verbal cues, um, mm-hmm. and and then once in a while I just meet people who are not good at one or many of these. Like maybe they <laughs> just know. may you know I was in in meetings in in my team at some point where I would say, "So is everyone okay with this?" And then I would just get silence, and I'm like. <laughs> guys i don't i i can't read your body language you need to help me out here and yeah. and i think that was basically the um the 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 one of the moments where i didn't really um i i you know where people could take information away or or add that at will um more readily than than you know you can maybe hide facial expressions and so on um so it it all depends on how self-aware people are and how interested they are in, in making that relationship work. And I guess um, just like you, I encounter people who are interested to do that and people who are not. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so like when it comes to a, 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 an interview, I guess that's the most um, high stakes in a short amount of time kind of uh, conversation where uh, I... I basically try to present my myself. And usually if I, in the past, if I got rejected, I would take that on as, Oh, I'm horrible. And why am I not a good software developer and stuff? This was like five years ago when I was applying for companies to, to get out of Iran and come to the, come to the, come to Europe in general. Um, Hmm. And uh, what I ended up learning is that some of these companies, it's not just a matter of passing the interview at any cost. It's, a matter of do I really want to be working with these people? So if this person's not um, letting me into their world and and making a mutual relationship happen over a conversation um, that's like an hour, uh, should I even want to work with them over a period of time? And I think one thing that I've discovered is I'm I'm now a lot picky, a lot more picky on on who I spend time with. Um, Especially now that it's COVID and I can freely choose and be like, Hey Jonathan, are you free to have a virtual wine? Or well I'm not into uh-huh. wine. Tea, coffee, whatever. <laughs> and <laughs> and and so like it's it's a lot easier now um to 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 get to surround myself with people who I actually connect really well with. Um but but it's it's a lot harder when you have to go out there and go and do job interviews or um, or like, you know, be a manager the way I was before, where I didn't pick my team members; they were basically assigned to my team. Now there's like a at work there's like a whole hiring interview and stuff like that, so I can test out, you know, is 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 this support and I, it like, am I and this, wait. <laughs> Are I and this reward going to have a working relationship that's going to be productive and, or, or not? So I guess a lot of this has been me growing and becoming more aware of what I find useful and not in, in a relationship. So that's been basically the, the journey that I've been on um, to, to get to know what really is productive for me and, and also to, uh, to articulate it. Because I think Mm -hmm. most of the time I was like, oh, that's tough. You shouldn't really say that. It's not really, you know. And uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of my journey has been uh, to say that in a non-judgmental way, but actually say it rather than, you know, hide it and forcing the relationship to work. Yeah. This goes way beyond DevOps. Yeah, that's all well. It, I hope. it
0: does, and it doesn't. You know, I I always say that DevOps is really about people more than it is about yeah. computers. Yeah. Uh, it's about culture yeah. and it's about uh, cooperation. So yeah, yeah, especially
1: uh, DevOps because you're basically at the um, intersection of uh, other people and and computers, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. A moment ago, you said that over time. Uh, I, I I might misquote you, but I think you said over time. Accessibility has gotten both better and worse. Do, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? What, what do you mean?
1: So the 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 problem in in most situations is that people are not aware of um, people with disabilities or any sort of neurodiversity who is in the workforce and is using their application or is using their code. And what's happening is that uh, uh, th- there are there are people who um, are very aware and they write proper code and they write proper software and there there are people that are not. Um, be, but because of the fact that we don't really have proper policies in place and there is no easy way to test software to see how accessible it is, um, the, the state of accessibility tools and accessibility software and operating systems and stuff like that uh, fluctuates a lot. So when you're when you are writing a uh, code to, I don't know, deploy your container on, on Kubernetes and you're looking at the logs, you're able to skim with just, you know, with your eyes and just quickly take in a whole lot by looking for, I don't know, red lines versus green lines. And when maybe you're heuristically saying, well, if the number of red lines exceeds some subjective, um, feeling, then I see that things are wrong, and I need to, you know, get more into detail and read the actual line. And because of the fact that I cannot do that, then I rely on, uh, for example, software that looks at the logs and uses AI to pull out information that's that's useful for me. Um, and if that software is accessible, great, uh, my life is great. Um If in, but the fact that it's great today doesn't mean that in one month, it's still going to be great. Um, and, and that's, what's what I experience uh, overall in, in my, uh, career is that something that's working today in terms of accessibility could be, uh, not working tomorrow. Um, and this goes from very crucial stuff like Gmail, um, and, and basically the, the whatever we're using to manage logs, for example, when I'm deploying, because take that away and I cannot deploy anymore. Yeah, and I think one thing that's really cool too, and I, I think Jonathan, you were a part of Booking when this was going on, um, is that uh, when when we're told to create software in a limited amount of time, the quality of the code ends up decreasing, but the, the usefulness of it as well ends up decreasing. And then I remember that I and Jonathan, we used to have conversations about, hey, this is not working for me. And Jonathan would say, yeah, it's not working for me either. And I can see. <laughs> and um, uh, w- what, what was very evident for me when I joined Booking was, oh, if something isn't working for me, there is a very high chance that it's not, working for a lot of other people as well it's just that it's not just as annoying uh as as me so people can kind of muddle through and make it work somehow but uh for me that that little difference is a is a lot of difference um and and then basically there was this whole conversation of how to make this better over time um, which I hope all organizations kind of partake, especially in smaller organizations and people in these organizations that are listening to this podcast because you have a lot more control over your environment and there is not like 300 people contributing to it to an internal tool. It's like five or six people. So that makes it a lot yeah. easier to make these choices early in, in, in your organization's life cycle.
0: What percentage of people do you, do you, if you know, what percentage of people uh, in IT have some sort of disability, whether it's, uh, you you know, vision or hearing, or you mentioned uh, neurodiverse. Do do you have any sense of that?
1: No, not really. And I think that what what makes that tricky um, is that the, first of all, with what they call invisible disabilities, um, the ones that are more around neurodiversity, people may choose not to disclose them, but also they might not just be aware of them. Um, especially with cases like um, autism where people are highly functioning or um, uh, like um, dyslexia or ADHD where people uh, you know people are on spectrums of, of these so um, I've I've actually had colleagues in the past year uh Kind of get some feeling that maybe I have ADHD and maybe I have dyslexia and maybe I have uh, and I'm talking about a copywriter, for example, that that you know is is mm-hmm. like, hey, I think I have dyslexia and um, or autism, and it they go and do a test and it turns out yeah they do, um, mm-hmm. and these people are like above thirty. So um, th- what makes this number very hard to find and define is that. First of all, people are not aware of it, always. Mm-hmm. And and if they are, it's not easy for them to disclose or, or, or maybe they don't want to do that um, because they have the uh, liberty of, of doing that. Whereas, for example, someone on a wheelchair or someone who's blind doesn't really have that liberty. Um, and And there is that fear of how are people going to react or how are they going to act differently after they figure out that I have this disability. And I think the 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 very important case is that I, for example, fall on the more severe uh, list of disabilities because my lack of sight is complete. Um, mm-hmm. But but you the, you know there is there are a lot of people on the spectrum of sight, and so uh, and I'm I'm just talking about sight specifically, but but that that diversity exists everywhere. And so um, if you're, for example, just relying on colors to convey information. Uh, and I see that a lot in in DevOps software. Um, th- then people who have color blindness um, will be missing out a whole lot. And there's a lot of people with color blindness. So I just don't understand why we're doing that on DevOps. Because like, someone must have that problem and must raise it already. Like, why why are we not speaking out about this stuff? Um, That's a really good point. Yeah, my,
0: my father is colorblind. Uh, with the red gr- red green uh, go together, and those are the two colors we use the most, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, we, exactly. He's red and green, and <laughs> like, my
0: father wouldn't be able to tell the difference.
1: Like DevOps is just red and green. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know if that's accurate because I haven't seen it, uh, but like right. I imagine. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I, you were talking about logs earlier, and, I, and you know, I I, I was I just rebooted my my Linux system earlier today, and it shows all these red statuses or green statuses, and if there's a failure, it's red, and that's it. That's all you see is is green for for success and red for failure, and there's yeah. there's no purple or or pink or or yellow yeah. or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and like I remember that when when I joined your team, Jonathan, at some uh, in in the beginning, um, we had a tool for compiling all the assets into one bundle, and I was reading the, I I ran the, the, I remember that I ran the code and then my shell prompt just came back. And then I was like, great, that's bundled and ready to go. And then the person working with me who was another backend developer was like, uh, no, like if you go up like eight lines, there's a red line in there. And I'm like, oh, "Oh, how the heck am, like this returned an exit code of zero. How can yeah. you have a red line and return the an exit code of zero? And and I actually went eight lines up and I read the line, but I couldn't necessarily tell that it was an error. It didn't have the word error. It didn't have the any any word that would kind of like say to someone who doesn't know the system that this is a problem. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And I basically that was the last time I rolled out any code at Booking um, in in the main uh, Booking.com website. Um, I did that in our own uh, core infrastructure software because we got to wrote, write the, you know, ro- the the pipelines and there were proper GitLab stuff. Um, but the I yeah that was just the last time that I used any software like that. Um, and imagine if I was not if I didn't like to work at Core Infra, if I didn't want to go that route, or or if I actually wanted to basically. Um, contribute to the area, areas like that where we were using software like this, you, I was basically unable to do my, my job. And I guess that's mm-hmm. the point that I, I'm hoping people take away from, from this episode is this is not just a nice to have. You're basically making people unable to do their job if you're not doing this right. And maybe you hear about it because they raise it. Maybe you don't because they don't raise it. But But either way, I'm hoping that the awareness... Um, that such a thing could actually happen um, encourages you and urges you to keep that in mind as you're writing code that spews out any output or or as you're writing code itself, you know, if, if you're looking at, at writing some source code. Um, and um, you're, for example, using colors, uh, n- notations that are only visible to a certain set of people and stuff like that to convey meaning don't do... Don't put ASCII art in your comment. Like w- why? <laughs> why? <laughs> like I've I've read code where someone's look at, instead of telling me what each key of a hash does, they just managed to turn it into an illustration of this is what it's like. This is what this hash contains. And so just tell me, like in proper code. <laughs> just leave proper. Go- Why? Why are you doing it? Yeah. So that's the. Sorry, just went off on the rant. But no, uh, that's great.
0: The- I, mean, I think that's that, that. That's where I want to take this episode. By the way, is is what can we do as uh, as coders and as engineers? What steps can we take? What what change of mind do we need? To to improve in these areas, and and you've mentioned a few things. Of course, you you know at the beginning, um, more readable code, you don't rely on a single uh, indicator. You know, combine a color with wording or, or something else. Uh, what else can we do? How how can how can we how can I as an engineer accommodate more people in the work that I do?
1: Yeah, I think you basically wrapped up and summarized what, what my two main points are. And I think just the fact that and and maybe um I validate me on this, Johnson because you um you are you fall in, in this category of people. I feel like just the fact that you're aware that such a group of people exist or like a diverse set of people are going to read your code or use your software, just having that awareness already brings up things in your head in, in critical moments that you maybe didn't even think about before. I don't know if that's
0: actually been true for you. I would say so. Um, although I, I know I have a lot of room for improvement. Uh, I mean, just historically, I, I, tend to, I tend to make a mistake until I, I realize it's a mistake and then I, I go back. So for example, just what you described to me now about uh, coloring your, your log lines. Uh, I had never really thought about that uh, in that context. I mean, I, I will, I will color my log lines, but I also put the word "error" or "warning" there. Right. But I do that more for the fact that I want to be able to grab that line, <laughs> yeah, with exactly. a tool, yeah, <laughs> when yeah. the colors aren't there. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> uh, w- yeah. Which, which I guess is kind of related. The, the tool is also colorblind. Yes. Uh, yeah. But I, I hadn't thought of it in the sense of. My dad might read these logs, or uh, Parham might come along and, and need to be able to deploy this without uh, without visual cues. Yeah. So n- yeah. now that I, now that you've made me aware, I definitely I will be thinking about this next time I'm writing a log library yeah. that includes colors.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think the colors are certainly important there to you know to to be there. Maybe one can make the colors customizable for people who are colorblind or something like that, but certainly for people who can use it. Totally. Let's put it there. Let let's let everyone use that as well. Just don't take that grippable f- string away, so that you know uh, yeah. you can use that in your tool. I can use that in my grep tool. Everyone can use that in grep to pull out all the errors. Um, and I think that's actually a great point that um, using Linux tools that are colorblind are ba- is, is basically a really great way to say. Is the thing is the information that I'm conveying here all uh readable for someone who might not be able to read the like see the colors in for any reason or not um and and if you can read it with awk or printf or whatever then you're mm. all fine if if you can only pull that information out with coloring um then like you know it's going to be harder for everyone me included
0: yeah. My first computer when I was eight years old was a Commodore 64. And we had it hooked up to a black and white television set. So I, I was effectively colorblind for the first three or four years of my computer. <laughs> just for the fact that I had a black and white monitor. And yeah. I remember being frustrated, like, why don't people make games with that are that work with higher contrast? But I'm digressing a little bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, maybe we should give everyone a black and white screen. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if Matrix would that be Matrixy, or would that be like blue? I've heard it's
0: blue. Ma- Matrix is uh, the, the movie you mean, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're. I think they were green for a green, lot of their stuff. Okay. But, but yeah.
1: Um. <laughs> yeah, we should just give them green and red <laughs> screens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if it helps my case if you give people just green and red because I think that covers like 99% of use cases. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think as long as it's not, I, I think the best case is to just give everyone the same color, like white, just white, mm. not black and white, just white. Just white, uh, just yeah. white, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> because then that forces everyone to to take color out of the equation. I'm, I'm hoping that part of your listener base is also working on software that is making other people's jobs easier by helping them you know, roll out code, see how their code is performing. Um, how things are going in production and blah, blah blah but usually that that's that set of software is very very inaccessible to me because uh and I've been in contact with companies about that and they're like uh I, I created an issue and I swear the e- the the comment that I got is this is a visualization tool and we're not going to change it and so y- go find something else um and and I think that was Grafana. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. so like, um, I, I, ba- yeah. If if you're working in one of these companies, take that into account because finding a job as someone with any sort of disability and you're basically convincing um, someone with a bias that you can actually do the job, it's already hard enough. Don't make it harder by making your tool inaccessible so that these people have to jump through hoops to do. Um, things that people who are um, not having any sort of disabilities can can do all of that stuff for free um, with, with very little effort.
0: Do you know of any resources that we can share with the audience uh, if they're interested in learning more about accessibility uh, considerations in the software they're designing or the engineering they're doing, blogs, podcasts, books, uh, anything like that?
1: unfortunately we have very few people who have gone to be like very uh, successful engineers and write you know books and stuff to others about how to write accessible code and um in when it comes to ex- producing accessible software i would say look at the accessibility um guidelines for your platform so that's windows and mac and they all have like microsoft has a really great developer website for accessibility Uh, mac has a uh, if uh, if you go to developer.apple.com and search for accessibility you find a whole lot of um, information about like native apps in general Um, if you're if you're looking at code i what i found is that as long as you're writing high quality code in terms of uh taking the readability into account um and i i think for me the un- uncle bob's co- um book of what was that called clean uh, code he has several clean, clean code. code clean yeah, architecture yeah. yeah i think uh, the clean code specifically was about uh okay about readability um mm-hmm. and maybe you don't agree with the solid principles or object oriented programming and you want everything to be functions and and all of that but um the the core message of the book and i think you'll 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 find that out if you check the, check out the book is that um the, the core message is still applicable to applicable to to basically any um any language that you're using it's just that it's up to you to figure out how that actually shows up in your language but i feel like there's a lot to learn from a book like that um and and apply that in in your everyday life and job
0: I agree. I like the book too. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not an object-oriented advocate per se, but the book is still, like you said, the, the core uh, concept of the book is still valid in yeah. just about any language. Yeah.
1: I remember it was actually beginning with a code. It ju- Like he just copy-pasted some random code from some random so- open source software, and then he ended up refactoring it through the book. And just by comparing the two versions in the beginning and the end, You'll kind of get the point, like, uh, th- there is so much difference in clearer function names, especially in functional languages where, uh, y- you know, for example, if you, if you start uh, getting, um, setting a function name, you're most of the time, at least for me, I realize, wow, this function is doing three things because my name is, the name of my function is like get table and render to table or something. And I'm yeah. like, oh, it's getting it. It's laying it out in a format and it's rendering it. Wow, that's like three different things. And just by clear function names, that that you know has a dominant effect into, oh, now I need to split this into three different functions. Um, and now my functions are shorter. And now that means it's easier to reason about. Um, and I'm sure all the functional um, programming people would agree smaller functions, easier to test, easier to um, make sure that there are no um, side effects and all of that stuff.
0: Barham, thank you so much for coming on. If people want to get in touch with you, are are you on social media or do you want to share your email address or, or uh, anything like that?
1: I am on Twitter. I'm not active, I just use it for responding to people's direct messages. My Twitter is pd90, uh, that's pretty easy. Uh, my website is myfullname.com. so that's parhamdustar dot um, You can get in touch with me through there, um, and um, and yeah, that's that's basically um, my my home on the internet. Great. I um, I'm I'm also working on um, getting together a, a podcast, which will not be about DevOps, sadly, but I'll just uh-huh. let Jonathan know you guys about that more.
0: <laughs> All right. So uh, go to your website to learn more about the podcast when it comes out i suppose yep
1: yeah okay yeah
0: what 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 will it be about by the way
1: so i I'm very much um focused on um learning at least one or two new things a week um and and these are like things that you apply in your you know everyday life this is not any this goes beyond any role or any job. Um mm-hmm. and and what I found is that in I've I'm I'm very lazy to share that in a blog format because I have to write it, publish it, um, find some thumbnail for it. <laughs> and and like so I uh I thought that it's 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 gonna be much more fun and engaging for others and for me if I put that in audio form where I can actually edit it in a way that what I'm seeing is what everyone else is seeing. Um mm-hmm. And, and also, I can bring in interesting people and have interesting conversations about what I'm learning, which is always something that I want to do, um, because I guess you know, Jonathan, that I just love conversations. I talk a lot, wow. though, but I'll, I'll have to down. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: all right. <laughs> well, I look forward to hearing the podcast. Uh, I hope the other listeners will, will visit your site and, and check it out, too, whenever it's, uh, whenever it's live.
1: Is there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off today? Um, I guess the the only thing I wanted to say is I really thank all of your listeners for seeing the title of this episode, which I imagine is unusual to a whole lot of people and and still listening and and getting all the way here. Um, It really means a lot that you're considering people who might not be in your usual circle of um, what you consider as colleagues. Um, so thanks a lot for being curious, for being open-minded and for um, finding out ways to actually help help those people. So um, thanks for being curious and thanks for taking action.
0: Wonderful. Thanks again, Parham. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll join me again next time on the Tiny DevOps Podcast. Find me online at jhall.io. Theme music is performed by Riley Day.